Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. I want to let you know that when we deal with Scripture, we are looking at supernatural events. It's important for us to understand that because the Bible teaches us that the natural mind cannot understand this book. The natural mind cannot understand the teachings of this book. And so many times we make a mistake within the church when we try to explain into things from Scripture that are not there. We also make a mistake when we try to explain away things that are obviously there. But if we can learn to allow the Spirit to illuminate our minds and receive it by faith, then we can start walking in the promises that we find in this book. It's particularly important to understand what I'm saying when we talk about the subject of the Holy Spirit, which we have been talking about for the past few weeks, because so many people try to explain into the subject of the Holy Spirit what this book does not say. At the same time, we try to explain away things that this book clearly says. And so my goal in this series is to not share opinion with you. It is to go directly to Scripture, look at what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible say about who he is, what does the Bible say about what he does. And if I disagree with it, then I just have to take it up with Jesus, okay? So if you don't like it, turn to the person next to you and say, leave Pastor Arm alone. (laughs) I'm doing the best I can, y'all. But we've been in the series talking about the Holy Spirit. Week one, we talked about how he is a promise from God, which means he's a good gift. Because how many of you know God does not give bad gifts? Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit as our helper, how he empowers the believer to live the life of Jesus, and to do the works of Jesus right here on this earth right now. The New Testament church that we look at being birthed in the book of Acts was made up of ordinary people just like you and me. I want you to get that. These these were not like some kind of super Christians. They were commercial fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were Carpenters, they had all different kinds of things going on in their life. But once they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they became a force to be reckoned with. They changed entire cities because when they went somewhere, the power of God went with them. That's why we're going through this series because I want you to understand what resides, or or better terminology would be who resides inside of you. You are sitting on a a keg of dynamite power that wants to move through you. Do you understand that Jesus wants to use you to reach your family, to reach your friends, to make a difference in your world? So so many times we think that Jesus has only called the pastor to reach the world. No, he's called the pastor and all the other gifts within the church to equip you for the work of ministry. And that's what Activation Church is about. It's about us partnering with you to equip you for the work of ministry because you 
have a purpose. Turn the person next to you and say, you have a purpose. So the Holy Spirit empowers us. Somebody say, he empowers me. Every person throughout history that did anything great for God was able to do it because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Noah built the ark through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You do know he was not a boat maker. You do understand how big the task of building that ark would have been. There's no way he could have done it on his own. So he needed the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. When we read through the miracles, the signs that Moses did in delivering the children of Israel, we need to understand that he did that through the power of the Spirit. Somebody say the power of the Spirit. When it came to God giving him instructions on how he would build the tabernacle, God speaks to him directly in Exodus 31, verse 2, and says, See, I have called. I want you to see this, okay? Because I'm going I'm to hit some phrases in here strong because I want them to jump out at you. If you have your Bible and you want to underline them, I would encourage you to underline them. But we see that God says, I have called. By name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise. Here's, here's why I've empowered him. Get this, God does not give you a gift to do something that you do not intend on doing. So many times, the, the life of the believer, they go, well, I haven't seen anything in operation in my life. Well, when's the last time you went out to witness to somebody? Because that's what it's for. It's not so that we can sit on our couch and become some kind of fat, spiritual Christian being that knows a lot of things and does nothing with it. Faith without works is what? Dead. So God gives us the ability to do something because he intends for us to do it. So the best way to start seeing God work in your life is start working for God <laughs> in someone else's life. So he says, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artics, uh, artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft, and behold, I have appointed. See that? Who calls you? Hello, who calls you? Who appoints you? Who fills you? He says, I have appointed with Aholiab, the son of Ahashmach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given, I have given, to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So right there we see that if God calls you to something, he gives you the ability through the Spirit to accomplish it. He doesn't just create you for a purpose. He gives you his Spirit and empowers you and gives you the tools and resources needed to accomplish it. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't just tell Moses to go build a tabernacle. He doesn't just give him specific instructions on how it's to be done. He also partners other people with him who are filled by God with the ability to carry out 
the project. That gives me great confidence in knowing that if God has called me to something, I don't have to stress because he's going to do it with me. He's going to work through me. How many of you believe that Jesus has called you to go into your world and preach the gospel? Okay, so if you believe that, then you need to understand that he's also going to give you the ability to do it. But again, that ability kicks in when you do it. Many times it is the stepping out in faith. Are you with me? When Peter's on the boat, sees Jesus walking on the water, everybody freaks out and goes, oh, it's Patrick Swayze. It's a ghost. And Peter says, Jesus, if that is you, Bid me to come out onto the water. And Jesus speaks the word. He says, come. But Peter did not walk on water until he stepped out. Many times we're waiting on God, not understanding that he is waiting for us to step out on what he's already called us to do. So many times we're waiting on God to give us the direction for the next step, and we haven't done the first step. Hello? Start doing what you have now with what you have now. Then that's when increase comes. I want a ministry that reaches the world. Have you ministered to your children? Well, pastor, no. We'll start there. Judea, Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. So last week, we talked about Samson. You know, many of us think of Samson as being like this huge buff guy that had a membership to the 24-hour fitness. But his strength did not come from the gym. His strength came from the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand who the source of our strength is. You are not the source. You do not save anyone. Christ saves people through you. When you present the gospel, he breathes on that word through the power of his Holy Spirit to touch lives. You do not have the ability to heal anyone. Christ Jesus has the ability to heal people through you. Too many times we label people, well, they're this or they're that. No, they're a human being filled with the Spirit of God, working through them. It's important to understand. If you want the Spirit of God to use you in this life, you need to be willing to not take the credit for it. Too many times we're looking to build our own name and our own platform and our own brand. Forget about that, man. Point people to Jesus, and when you lift up the name of Jesus, he'll draw them in unto him. When you just simply say, I'm going to be a vessel. Mike, I just want to be a vessel. I don't care if anybody knows my name. That's honest to God truth. I don't care if anyone knows the name Aram Meshagan. I want them to know the name Jesus. I want them to know that there is a God who loves them enough to give his life for them. That is what it's all about. As we continue about talking about the spirit-filled life and the gifts of the spirit, it's all about making Jesus famous and not building our own platform. Are we together today? Even Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Turn to the person next to you and say, even Jesus had him. The Bible says in Matthew 3, 16, 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Like a dove. It wasn't an actual dove. It was like a dove. I heard a story about this pastor who was going to be preaching on the Holy Spirit, and he had an opening above the stage where there used to be a vent. And he put this little boy up there in the attic, and he said, when I say the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, I want you to drop a dove down the hole. It was going to be an amazing experience. I mean, could you imagine, like, when the pastor says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and then all of a sudden a dove appears? That's some good church right there. (laughs) So the pastor gets to this climatic moment in his sermon, and he says, and the Holy Spirit, ha! descended. I said, I like a dove. I can't even do it good. Nothing happened. He said, I said, the spirit descended like a dove. Nothing happened. He said, I said, the spirit descended like a dove. And about that time, the little boy spoke up and he said, preacher, kitty cat ate the dove. (laughs) Do do you want me to drop the cat down? (laughs) So it's like... Like a dove, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for his mission. Luke 4.1, the Bible said, I'm going to go through a ton of scriptures, so don't try to flip. Go back, all of the, the notes or the, the scriptures will be on the YouTube video, so that when you go back to YouTube, you can find all the references within the comment section. But Luke 4.1, the Bible says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So there we see Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. Luke 4.14 says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Luke 4.18, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying the Spirit of the Lord himself, he leads me, he fills me, he has given me power, and now he has appointed me or anointed me for a task. And I I would challenge you to understand that that is the same task we have today, to proclaim good news to the poor. Not, Not talking about people who don't have money in the bank, but people who are poor in spirit. Because if you have Jesus Christ, you are wealthy. Did you know that? So many times when we think about prosperity, we think about Corvettes and jets. That's not what prosperity is. Prosperity is having an overflowing, abundant life because the Spirit of God himself dwells inside of you. So I have peace that goes beyond understanding. I have joy unspeakable, full of glory. Hello? That's what true wealth is. Because I've 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 seen miserable millionaires. There are millionaires sitting in this room, and there are people who have been millionaires sitting in this room that will tell you money is not the solution. I'd like to try it. Just for, I mean, I'd like to try it so that I can say it's not their testimony, but my testimony. <laughs> but understand, he's given us the ability to proclaim good news to the poor, the poor in spirit. He has sent me, us, to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to blind. And that's not just 
physical blindness. How many of you know those that don't know Jesus don't see correctly? He says, recovery of the sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. That's what we're here for, church. It's not just a cute Sunday service. We're here to be equipped and empowered to make a difference in our world. The reason we have children's ministry is to make a difference in the lives of children, not to babysit them. The reason we film our messages and put them on social media and on YouTube isn't to build our name, it's to present the world with a Jesus that truly loves them. Can you tell I'm passionate today? Here's what I need. I need your, my passion to become your passion. I need my fire to become your fire. I need the vision that God has given me for this church to become your vision. And understand it's not my church, it's our church. It's not my responsibility, it's our responsibility. You want to talk about reaching a world? God Almighty, just give me 12 people that are as passionate as I am. We'll shake, we'll shake the nation. Jesus had 12 disciples that turned the world upside down. Doesn't take a lot. Here's what you got to know. Little is much when God is in it. it <laughs> little is much when God is in it. He just needs somebody to say, here I am, Lord, use me. Send me wherever, however. Doesn't matter if I feel like it's my thing or not. As long as it's your thing, I'll do it. The point is, we all need the Holy Spirit. Tell the person next to you, you really need him. Philippians 2.13 says it is God. It is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Get that. God himself gives you the ability to know his will and to carry it out. Why? Because in your natural mind, you'll never figure it out. And in your natural living, you'll never carry it out. So it's God who begins to work in you. He, he produces his will and the desire and the ability to carry it out. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, watch this. He's been crucified. He was resurrected from the dead. Before he leaves this earth to go back to the right hand of the Father, he tells his disciples, you need to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to accomplish the mission. Very important. See, the, the, the disciples heard the teachings of Jesus. The disciples knew the miracles. They saw them. They participated in them. But Jesus was saying that's, that by itself is not enough. Without the Holy Spirit infusing your words, lives will not change. So go and wait for the promise of the Spirit. Today we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit that he gives to us to live the life he's called us to. There's three questions that I want to answer, and I want to keep this as simple as possible because I'm a simple person. And the questions are, what are the gifts? What are they? Who are the gifts for? And are the gifts still available today? That's an important question. Not just what are they, how do they work, but are they still available today? And if they are still available today, then who are they for? 
in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, Paul here throughout the entire book of 1 Corinthians is addressing some issues and questions that have come from the Corinthian church. When he gets to the 12th chapter, he's going to start dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So let's just stop right there. That's a big problem within the church today. Some people are just simply uninformed, while others have been misinformed. And because of this, it has brought controversy and division to the church. You have some groups within the church that say the gifts of the Spirit are good. You'll have other groups that say the gifts of the Spirit are bad. You'll have some people that say the gifts of the Spirit are still relevant. And then you have some people that say the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Some people that you listen to, and this is why you have to be very careful who you listen to, do not build your theology on YouTube, please. Because some people will even persuade you to believe that the gifts of the Spirit are evil. Or if you start getting too close, you may slip over into something evil. Jesus himself dealt with this in Mark, the third chapter, verse 22. I want to read this to you. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he, speaking of Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. Get this. Are you hearing what they're saying about Jesus? Now, let me just insert this here. These are people who their entire lives have been waiting on the coming of the Messiah. He now shows up. They don't recognize him, and not only do they not recognize him, they reject him and label him evil. Is it possible that if people were able to do that to Jesus then, that we are still able to do that to the Holy Spirit, who is God with us now? Just a question, is it possible? Is it possible through our misunderstanding that we have labeled something good as something evil? That's what's happening here. He's, they say, by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to, the, to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Let me tell you something. Satan isn't doing anything for your good. If you have cancer and then the next day you don't have cancer, the devil didn't do that. <laughs> He's here to destroy, not to build up. Hello? I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me to, to deal with some of the ignorance that we have within the church. But it's very plain through Scripture. If you just take a moment to look at it, stop thinking about what you've heard as you grew up and what you've been taught. Stop, clear your mind of that. Let's go to Scripture. Michael, what does Scripture say about this? Because this is my foundation, not my grandpappy. Are you hearing me? I love my granddad. My granddad loved God, but I do not build my theology based upon something my grandfather said. I'm going to go back to, did the Word of God say that? And match it up with, okay, he said this, it's in the Word, now I can receive it as truth. Right? 
It says, by the prince of demons he cast out demons, and he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he indeed may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, this is heavy, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 30 says, will tell us why he says this. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. They were saying the Holy Spirit is unclean, and Jesus is saying you, you need to tread lightly here. Here's, here's the big idea. Don't criticize what you don't understand. It, it's okay for you to not understand something, but don't criticize it. Get educated. That's what Paul's dealing with. He, I don't want you to be uninformed. I, I want to give you a clear understanding of what these gifts are, who they're for, how they work, and how they should function within the church. I don't want you, Activation Church, to be uninformed. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be a dummy. <laughs> so all through Scripture, you will see that the purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. If that's true, then it's easy to see why the enemy would work so hard to bring controversy and division. Because he knows whenever the people of God are filled with the power of God and start to do the work of God, that's when his kingdom comes to nothing. Did you know the devil doesn't care if you attend a church service? He doesn't care if you open the Bible and read it from time to time. What he cares about is when the words on those pages get in your heart and what's in your heart starts coming out of your mouth and your life that's when he starts to take notice. That's when he starts to get a little worried about you because he knows you're someone who's about to stomp all over him. Amen? So, the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father. Every gift from God is good. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. This is the tone Paul is starting with because of the confusion surrounding the gifts especially about the gift of tongues, which he addresses in the next few verses. Verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What I want to do right here is I want to take you to the ESV Study Bible Commentary for this particular group of verses. I want to read you what is in that commentary, okay? The, they, they say in their commentary, because of their background in pagan worship services, some Corinthians may have had concerns about speech gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit in the church. Paul first assures them that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. In other words, if you, he, Paul's saying if you hear them speaking in a tongue, you need to know they're not going to say anything negative about Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at. And therefore, they should not worry that Christians who speak in tongues might be uttering blasphemous things. And also, no one can say in genuine faith that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's the one that points us to Jesus, right? 
And therefore, all who profess faith in Christ have the Holy Spirit within them. And none should be excluded, for they all have valuable gifts for the benefit of the church. Verse 4, he goes on to say, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7, to each. So now we're going to do a little question and answer. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, would consider yourself an each? Verse 7, he says, to each. To each. What's that? To each member of the body. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why? For the common good. Do you understand that? The gifts are for the common good, for the building up of the church. That's the purpose. Not to divide us, but to unify us. Now, in verses 8 through 10, he's going to start walking through the gifts of the Spirit. There are nine different gifts. Instead of reading them to you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to place them into three different categories to make them easier to understand and for us to break down and talk about. Fair enough? So the first category is what we would call the discerning gifts. Somebody say discerning gifts. This is the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. So the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a divine revelation for a current or future situation. In other words, the Holy Spirit may show you something that is going to happen and give you the wisdom to handle it. One illustration of this is found in Billy Graham's book that he authored called Just As I Am. This is what Billy Graham says. Sometime toward the end of the second week in November 1963, I unaccountably felt such a burden about the president visiting Dallas that I decided to phone our mutual friend, Senator George Smathers, to tell him I really wanted to talk to the president. His secretary told me Senator Smathers was on the Senate floor and would call me back. Instead, he sent me a telegram that the president would get in touch with me directly. He thought I wanted to talk about the president's invitation to another golf game in Florida that weekend. The game was off, he said, and would have to be rescheduled. But all I wanted to tell the president was one thing. Don't go to Texas. That was a gift of wisdom that God gave Billy Graham to save the president's life. And there were more people that God spoke to about that event. One of them was my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather got in touch with the White House, let them know so much so that they started investigating him after the murder of John F. Kennedy. That's a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom can also be a supernatural wisdom for a current situation or problem. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, we can have God's mind on the matter. Isn't that wonderful? I'm not going through life aimlessly. I'm not just trying to figure it out. I have someone inside of me that leads me, guides me, directs me, gives me truth, and gives me wisdom. The Bible says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom. How many of you would say sometimes you lack some wisdom? Ladies, don't look at your husbands. 
says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. What does that mean? I need wisdom in my life. I can go to the source of the one who knows everything and say, I need some wisdom. Right? The next is the word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is the Holy Spirit allowing you to know something specific that you didn't learn by natural means. In other words, no one told you about it. You didn't read it in a book. You didn't see it in a movie. You didn't hear it on a podcast. It's a supernatural knowing. It's a supernatural transfer of information that you couldn't possibly know through natural processes. We see this at work with Jesus when he meets with a woman at the well. He does not know this lady by any natural means. He strikes up a conversation with her. He starts using the well as an illustrated sermon. Then he tells her to go get her husband. Oh, watch this. She says to him, I don't have a husband. He says, you've spoken truth. You've had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. Jesus did not know that by natural means. That was a word of knowledge for the purpose of showing this lady that God is interested in what's going on in her life, which opened her up to receive the gospel message, which she then took and spread to her tribe and the people in her area, talking about the greatness of this man that she just met. So understand this. A word of knowledge would never be released to embarrass anyone. The whole point of a word of knowledge was, to me is to show you that God is mindful of your situation, that, that he is aware of what you're going through. And it also helps us to pray in a way that we would not have known otherwise to pray. Does that make sense? This is such a, an amazing thing that, that God has allowed me to uh, participate in over the past few years here at Activation Church. I remember... The first time a word of knowledge happened was on a Sunday morning. Sean Hall, who Sean is here today. Sean, are you still in here? There you are. Sean was very new to the church. We were still in Kennesaw, Georgia. I had never met Sean. Sean, have we met before? And I just felt to pray for her. I, I didn't know why I was going to pray for her. I just felt to pray for her. So I said, would you come up? So I began to pray for her. And I don't remember what was said in the prayer. But as I was praying, I saw her in my mind going to the mailbox. And I said, Sean, or I didn't know your name. I just said, I just saw you go to the mailbox, and I, I don't know what that means. And Sean looked at me, and I, I'm sure she didn't mean to give me this look, but she looked at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I closed service, got in the car, and I was mad. <laughs> Not at Sean. I was mad at the situation because I was like, God... Here's the deal. I told you, like, when I'm preaching, I don't want anything coming in my mind that's not from you because if it's just my mind, I'll say something stupid and I'll look stupid and now I look stupid. That's the conversation I'm having with God on the way home, driving up 41 to go to my house. The next week, Sean shows up to church. She says, I went to my mailbox. There was a check in the mail for X amount. Here's my tithe. Why God allowed me to see that, I don't know. But maybe it was to reveal something to Sean. Maybe it was to show Sean that God is in control of her life, that he is aware of her life. A couple of weeks ago, y'all were here. I was praying for a, a lady. She came up to the stage. I, I didn't know what was going on in her life. As I was praying, I started rebuking the spirit of suicide. 
because I just felt led in that moment to rebuke the spirit of suicide. Then as I was praying for her, I saw in my mind, I saw a nightstand beside her bed. I could tell that it was on the left side of her bed. I could tell there was a picture frame on the nightstand. I could not see what was in the picture, but I said that to her. She sent me a message through Facebook later that evening showing me the picture. She said, it's a picture, and I won't give you the details, but it's a picture of someone that I care deeply about. And at night, I've been getting by my bedside praying for that person because they're going through a difficult situation, and I'm worried that they're going to get into depression and even start having thoughts of suicide. That was God letting her know, I hear your prayer. One time I was in a hotel, and we were just eating. And one of the servers walked by, and I called her. She had a name tag. I said, Abby. Her name was Abby. I said, Abby, come here. So she came over. I said, can I just pray for you? Again, I didn't know why I was praying for her. I just felt to pray for her. She sat down. I started praying for her, and then I said, put your hand on your stomach. She put her hand on her stomach, and I started praying for her stomach. When I said Jesus' name, amen, I got up and walked off. She turned to my brother. She said, how did he know that I had issues with my stomach? And my brother started explaining to her how God is aware of everything and was able to minister to her in that moment. Are you seeing that? So it's not some kind of sideshow. You've you got to understand that we serve a risen, resurrected Savior who is still very involved in our lives. And many times when the word of knowledge comes, it is there to show us how we can pray for someone in a more specific way. So, the word of knowledge will never, somebody say never, be given to embarrass someone. It's always given to edify, build up, encourage, and strengthen. Some of you in here may be saying, well, pastor, I don't believe you. I think you're lying about that. Fine. Doesn't bother me. I know what I know. Those who have been involved know that I know. Fair enough? So, a word of knowledge can direct you in how to pray for someone. The next is the discerning of spirits. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We get, we get, we mess up so many times, Don, when we think our fight is against the person. We think our fight is against a political party or a political leader. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against a spirit that is driving that flesh. So Paul wants us to know that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. There are some issues that are going on in our world that we cannot solve with a bomb. We cannot solve with a machine gun because they are spiritual problems and they have to be handled in a spiritual way. He says, but we're dealing with rulers against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual for forces of evil in the heavenly places. When Jesus is telling the disciples that he's about to be crucified, Peter speaks up and says, no, no, not you, not now. What does Jesus do? He rebukes him says, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't dealing with Peter. He was dealing with a spirit that was influencing Peter at the moment. That's why the discerning of spirits is so 
important in our life to be sensitive to understand what's going on in our world so that we're not attacking an individual, but we can deal through prayer with the spirit assigned to harass us or to harass our city or to harass our schools. Because if we can deal with the spirit, we can deal with the root of the issue. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So that's why that gift would be beneficial to a believer, to understand what's going on. Where's this attack coming from? When Jesus would pray for sick people, go through and look at the times Jesus would pray for sick people through Scripture. Sometimes he would speak healing. Other times he would rebuke a spirit of infirmity. See, sometimes people were sick just because people get sick. That's a part of the fallen nature. Our, our flesh wears out. We get sick. Jesus would pray for them to heal them. But in other times, there was a spirit of infirmity that had attached itself to that person that was causing whatever that person was suffering with. And so Jesus didn't pray for their healing. He spoke to that spirit and cast out that spirit. And as soon as that spirit left them, then they received their healing. Follow me? So you can see why that would be beneficial in our prayer. The second category is the dynamic gifts. This is the gift of faith, which we all have a measure of faith. You, did you know that according to Scripture? We have a measure of faith. But the gift of faith is not talking about that measure of faith which can be built through our study of the Word and time with God. This is a supernatural faith that could come on us in a moment of crisis. When, when everything seems to be breaking out against us, we can have this supernatural peace and this supernatural faith that everything's going to be okay. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before where everything in your life doesn't look okay and in the natural it looks like it's going to fall apart but you just know, I just know this is going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. That is a gift of faith for that moment to bring you through. The next would be the gifts of healing. That, that's supernatural healing. That's not I've got a headache, I took a Tylenol, now I don't have a headache. That's healing, but that's not supernatural healing. So when we talk about the gift of healing, we're talking about supernatural healing. The third dynamic gift is the working of miracles. I believe that most of these in this category are widely accepted. They're pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and we need to know that as believers, we have the right to pray the prayer of faith and see sick people healed. The Bible says in Mark 16, verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. So let's pause right there. Who is, who, who is going to be working in these signs? According to what the Scripture says, these signs will accompany, say the next three words, those who believe, Okay. So that clears that up right there. These signs will accompany those who believe. There's no time stamp on that. In my name, they will cast out demons. That means you're going to have power over the work of darkness. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents in their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. That is not telling us that in church services we should play with snakes or drink poison. That's ludicrous. That's talking about divine protection. You have to understand, these people who were ministering the gospel in the early church, 
not only did they have spiritual enemies, but they had natural enemies. There were people that wanted them dead. And Jesus is knowing, as long as you're on mission, as long as your purpose is still alive, nothing will be able to take you. John the Revelator, he was boiled in oil and he lived. Why? Because the Spirit of God was giving him divine protection. Uh, the Apostle Paul's here, he gets stranded on an island, he goes to start a fire to get warm, he reaches to get the wood. What happens? A poisonous or a venomous snake bites him. He shakes the snake in the fire. He's fine. Everybody starts freaking out, think he's going to die. Then they start freaking out because he's not dying. <laughs> like people can't make up their mind here. We, we were, we, can I just stop and say like, we, we just, we're, we're wrong in the head sometimes. Jesus goes to a, a place where there's this man filled with evil spirits, Right? That's wreaking havoc. They, they can't even chain the man or bind him because he breaks these chains. Jesus comes in, casts out the demons of the man, and instead of the, the city going, oh, thank God that this man is set free, and now we're not going to be tormented by him because he's being tormented by them, they say, can you leave? Because that's a little weird. <laughs> how, how many of us are like that in church, though? We're good with flannel board Jesus. We're good with the Jesus who preaches some sermons and talks about love. But when we start talking about fire coming out of his, <laughs> his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth, and we go, I don't need that with Jesus, you know. We get, we get I don't know why. We've got to understand this is a supernatural gospel. <laughs> Everything was created by a supernatural God. We were created in his image and likeness, which means we are actually supernatural beings inhabiting a flesh suit. We are not flesh people who have a spirit. We are a spirit that dwells in a body because this body is what keeps us alive on this planet. But as soon as this thing wears out, you keep on going, baby. The question you need to worry about is where? Because you're going somewhere. We're all created to live forever somewhere. Well, I don't believe it. Well, just wait. You'll find out. <laughs> Let me know if I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Drinking on the job. So, says, you pick up serpents with their hands, drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. But who is this? It says, they will lay their, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So who is this promise for? Those who believe. This is Jesus speaking, not me. This is Jesus speaking. Someone I heard, that he's, he's a very well-known pastor in the cessationalist movement, which means they believe the gifts of God have ceased. It was for a time and for a specific people, but now they're done. So the only people who had the ability to pray for healing and see it happen were the apostles. God no longer heals anymore. This is what their stance would be, which is like God, uh, God all of a sudden changed his mind, you know, like. For years, he was helping people, blessing people. Now he's not going to help them or bless them. Like, uh, they needed the Holy Spirit to build the church, but now y'all have got YouTube and Instagram, so you're good to go, right? So I, I listened to his talk, and he was saying, like, the gifts of healing was for the apostles. God does not do those things anymore. Could he do it? Yes, but he doesn't. That's what he's saying. He's in an interview. man says, well, do you pray for sick people in your church? He said, yes, because the Bible instructs me to. Now, this is someone who, I mean, he's got his doctorate. 
I don't know. I think he created the seminary he graduated from. I'm not quite sure. But are you following this thinking? I don't believe God heals people, but I'm instructed to pray for their healing, so I do. Why? I, I'm <laughs> one of the first times I taught on the gifts of the Spirit, there was a gentleman who had a problem with the teaching, wanted to have lunch with me and talk to me about it. I'm not doing that anymore. If you have a problem with it, send an email. We'll, we'll deposit it in the special file we have for that. But anyway, this gentleman, which is funny, the whole reason his family was coming to our church is because his wife received a word of knowledge, blew her away that I knew what was going on in her life the night before, knew it had to be God. She said, I've known Jesus for a long time, but I feel like I'm actually just now getting to know God. I do the teaching on the spiritual gifts, and all of a sudden people think I'm a different pastor than I was before. If you've been coming to this church for five or six years, I'm still the same guy. I have not changed the way I think, okay? And so he had this lunch with me, and he was telling me, he was telling me why God doesn't do things anymore, and God doesn't heal people. I said, if your children are sick, will you pray for them? He said, yes. I said, why? I mean, isn't that a legitimate question? If I don't believe that God has the power to heal someone, why am I going to pray for them? Well, God doesn't heal everyone, Pastor. Okay, that's fine. That's a completely different conversation. But I don't get to choose who he heals and doesn't. All I get to do is pray for the sick and believe that they'll recover. If they do or don't, that's between them and God. God's the healer, not me. Right? And it's like, will everybody be saved? Probably not. There are going to be people who reject Jesus, but I'm still going to pray for everyone to receive Jesus Christ. I'm still going to preach the gospel to everybody that's in the room, even if you're going to reject it and walk away from it. Why? Because we scatter seed. That's what Jesus says in the parable of the sower. You scatter seed. Where it falls and the soil, that's on them. You got one job, scatter the seed. Turn to the person next to you and say, scatter the seed. The third category is the declarative gifts or declarative gifts. These are the speech gifts. That'd be the gift of prophecy, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So let's start with the gift of prophecy. This is bringing a word from God that will edify the church individually or corporately. Edifying meaning building up. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the building or the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So what is this gift for? It's to encourage you. Plain and simple. And this can happen in many different ways. This could happen through a sermon. As someone is preaching the word of God, they could say something that encourages you, and that would be the gift of prophecy at work. Several years ago, I was a children's pastor Randy, who leads worship for us, he was a part of our children's ministry. He was a character named Pickle. And we wanted to put together a worship team for the children. And so I asked Randy to play guitar for it. And he said, oh, no, 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 like, you got the wrong guy. You, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. And I said to him, I said, uh, I reminded him of the story where God tells Moses, what do you have in your hand? And how God used what was in his hand. And I said, Randy, you're what I have in my hand. Well, that was a prophetic word that encouraged him to do something that shaped his future. He now leads worship here today because of that in his life. So the gift of prophecy is not some weird thing. It is simply encouraging someone. Sometimes you may be praying for someone, and as you're praying for them, you're saying something that encourages them that you're not even aware that you're saying something that means something to them. Or maybe you're having a conversation with them, and you just feel to tell them everything's going to be okay. 
you're going to be all right. You're going to make it through this. Sometimes that is more than you just feeling like you're an encourager. Sometimes that is the gift of prophecy at work in your life. Then he goes on to say various kinds of tongues. Very important when you get here. Read it very carefully. He says various kinds of tongues. Why? Because there is a variety of tongues. I want you to notice this, okay? There are three different places in Scripture that shows us three different kinds of tongues. The first is found in Acts, the second chapter. This is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Let's, let's pay very attention to the wording. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested. Did this happen only to the 12 apostles, or did this happen to all 120 in the room? According to Scripture, I'm just asking you, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let you guess. Okay. So, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing when you actually start reading the Bible what it says? And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, wondered, what, what's going on here? And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then he goes on to name all the people that are, that are there in the area. And then verse 11, it says, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So this particular kind of tongue was used to convey the mighty works of God to people in their own language. My great-grandfather experienced this. He was from Armenia. They came, they settled in the United States, they moved to California. Around the time of the Azusa Street revival that was happening, he was walking by, and he heard somebody speaking Armenian. So he decided, I'm going to go see what this is, is about. So he goes up, and he hears this person in Armenian talking about Jesus. So he starts a conversation with this person in Armenian, and the person has no idea what my great-grandfather is saying. Why? Because that person did not speak Armenian. He was speaking using this gift, and it was used to draw my great-grandfather in. I've also heard other stories, and maybe some of you have heard stories like this before, where someone is sitting in a church service, and they just feel the need to pray in the Spirit throughout the entire service. They're not yelling out. They're not screaming. They're just very quietly praying in the Spirit. Come to find out there was someone in front of them that did not speak English and God was using them to translate the sermon. So the person heard in their own language. Now, some people want to say, well, were they speaking the language or were they hearing in the language? I honestly don't know. My personal opinion is that they were hearing 
in their own language. Because you've got to understand there's 120 of them going crazy in this upper room. So it would have been very difficult to distinguish individual languages. But if they're all speaking in a supernatural tongue, everyone can have the ability through the Holy Spirit to hear them. Okay? So that's just my personal view on that. So that's the first kind of tongue, okay? The second kind of tongue is a personal prayer language. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14.2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Do you already see the difference there between what we just read in Acts and here? See, here's the difference. The first example, they were speaking to people. People were hearing them. People were responding. People were hearing and understanding. The second that we're dealing with here says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he others mysteries in the spirit. Do you see the biblical difference there? Yes or no? I mean, it's very plain to me. In one, people are hearing the mighty works of God. The other, it says, they're speaking directly to God and no one understands. Is that what, Mike, are you following along? Is that what it says? Okay, just want to make sure. So that is what some would call a personal prayer language. The question is, why is this gift beneficial? Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 4. For the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So when I speak a word that you understand, it builds you up, it encourages you. But when I pray in a supernatural prayer language, it builds me up. Jude 1.20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So the first benefit is it builds me up. Somebody say it builds me up. If you go to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, where Paul is listing the armor of God, I'm going to show you something that you've probably never noticed before. Ephesians 6, we're going to start reading in verse 17. Do you all have this one queued up for us on screen? He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, right after he says God there, right after the word God, what do you see right there? What is it? Say it loud. Comma. What does a comma mean? It's a pause, but there's a continuation of thought. It's not a period. Many times we read a period here, right? We, we read it this way. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, period. Now we're done with the armor. Well, there's not a period. There's a comma. Are y'all still with me this morning? Am I still staying with scripture this morning? Yeah. I mean, I'm just showing you grammar. I, and I, I mean, I failed a lot of English in, in school, but I got that part, right? Now, what's after the comma? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So praying in the spirit is a part of the armor that God has given us. In Romans, the eighth chapter, verse 26, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called to, according to his purpose. Have you ever thought about this? Like when I'm praying in the spirit, I'm praying about things that I'm not even aware of, things that may happen. And because of my prayer, I can know that all things are working together for my good. So this kind of tongue or prayer language is valuable to the believer because sometimes when we pray in our natural uh, way of praying, which we should, it's kind of like a shotgun blast. We, we kind of cover all the gamuts. But when I pray in a heavenly language, it is like a sighted-in rifle that hits the target. Not only is this beneficial to the believer, but I personally believe it is available to every believer because of what we read about the benefits of building up. I believe that God wants us to all be built up, okay? Whatever you want to do with that is fine with me. And we can disagree on that and still love Jesus and worship God and reach our world. Amen? The third kind of tongue is to be coupled with the third dynamic gift. So this kind of tongue is a message from God delivered in a heavenly language and should be followed by an interpretation. Again, I want you to notice the difference. The first one is people hearing. The second one is people speaking directly to God, no one understanding. This one is God speaking through them to people for the purpose of having an interpretation so that the people can hear. So this is God speaking through someone, not a personal prayer that is to God. If we don't understand the various kinds of tongues, that's when we get into things like when you hear someone praying in church in a heavenly language, we go, oh, well, I already heard three people do that, so no one else can do it. That's not what it's talking about. Every, every believer who has a personal prayer language has the right at any time to pray in that language. I, throughout the entire service, will be praying. You don't hear me. Why? Because I'm not standing up and shouting out. Why am I not shouting out? Because you don't need to hear it, because there's not an interpretation for it. But I have the right in my time of prayer to pray this way, okay? So 1 Corinthians 14, 5. He says this. Listen to what Paul says. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. What's the whole purpose here? The building up, the building up, the building up, the building up, the unity. Not to divide, not to tear down, to build up. So what, what he's leading up to here is in public worship, it would be better to speak in a language that someone can understand. Unless there is a message in tongues that is followed by an interpretation. I will not fake an interpretation. If somebody prays out in a tongue in this church, which they are welcome to if they feel that the Holy Spirit is moving on them. If I do not receive an interpretation for it, I will just say, praise God, they're worshiping God, and move on. If you hear me give an interpretation, that's because I feel that God has given me an interpretation. I'm not one of those that wants to fake anything, okay? But I am one of those that, God, whatever you have for me, I want. Like, if, if, if you've made something available, I want all of it. I don't want just part of it. And, and the whole conversation, we're going to deal with this in a moment, but the whole conversation about whether the gift ceased or not doesn't really matter if you, if you just back off a little bit and go, if they ceased, then I'm not going to get it anyway. 
But if they haven't, then I'll believe God will give me whatever he desires for me to have. So God, Jesus, whatever you want from me, that's what I want. I know that your spirit is a good gift to me, so I receive everything that you have for me. And some people are, are like scared of like the whole tongues thing because they think they're going to be at Kroger and just start going, shut that, 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 that's not how it works. You control your mouth. <laughs> Did you know that? You control your mouth. <laughs> you control it. And at the same time, as they, the gift is released through faith. I won't take more time to teach on that, but so, for, 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15, he summarizes, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Get this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, if it, any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and in, in each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So again, he's not saying that he's, you can't pray in a heavenly language when you're in church. He's saying like, if you're going to shout it out and, and, you know, to where attention is drawn to you, then that's got to be done decently in order. If not, we'll have mass confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, this is how he closes the chapter. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through 40, so brothers, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So as I close, I want to point your attention back to the first verse of this chapter. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. As a church, we should desire the things of God. We should desire for the gift of God to be at work in our life, in our church, our home, our community. Why? Because it is the power of God that draws people to himself. The gifts of the Spirit are the gifts that we should desire. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are still relevant and active today. Nowhere in Scripture does it say they ended with the apostles. Nowhere in Scripture does it say it ended with the apostles. Before you start flipping the pages of your Bible trying to find out if I'm saying what I'm saying is true or not, please listen to me because I'm going to explain this. There is a place in Scripture that people who are cessationalists, they will take you there. I would like to take you there as, as well. I'm going to simply read the Scripture to you that they use to say that it stopped with the apostles and let you determine within your mind based upon everything we've said today and everything that's written here whether or not these gifts have ceased. Fair enough? So I'm not pushing anything on you. You figure it out. Okay, so uh, the, here's the verse that people use to debate the gifts. is found in the 13th chapter where Paul is addressing the motivation of the gifts. He gives a beautiful explanation of love 
and how without it the gifts are meaningless. In other words, who cares if you speak in tongues if you don't love your neighbor? My grandfather used to say, it doesn't matter how high you jump on a worship service, it's how straight you walk once you land. Hello? These things are not for a, a... outward show so that people go, oh man, God did something great today. No, it's for the transformation of your life. So he gives the motivation. In verse 8 of chapter 13, here's what he says. Listen very carefully. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. That means they will stop. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Did you you catch that? So, So people would say, okay, well, we don't need healing anymore. We don't need tongues anymore. Let me ask you, do we need knowledge? Because if tongues and prophecy has passed away, then guess what? It's gone with it. Knowledge. But let's, let's look at it again. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. There will come a time that prophecy will stop. As for tongues, they're going to stop too. As for knowledge, it's going to go bye-bye. For we know in part And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Can I just stop right there? Because God just reminded me of something where Paul is talking about growing into the maturity of Christ, the fullness of Christ. That is the moment that we stand before him face to face and we are exactly like him. But until that moment, we are continually growing into the image of Christ. So he says, when I was a kid, I thought like a kid, but I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, but then face to face. When is then? When the perfect comes. We will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He is saying when Jesus Christ returns, there's not going to be a need for prophecy. When Jesus Christ returns, there's not going to be a need for speaking in tongues. The need is for right now because we're still in this world trying to reach the world, trying to become the people he's called us to be. Effective Christians, effective believers. Are you seeing that? I hope that is very clear to you when you leave here today. Nowhere else in Scripture. Don, you know Scripture, I assume. Is there another place in Scripture where Jesus says that it's going to stop with the apostles or another apostle says, hey, I'm the last one. Get it while you can. Because you're going to go through around 3,000 years of sickness. You're going, to have, you're going to have around 3,000 years of not hearing me speak anything at all. It's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. 
And they want to treat those who believe the word of God as wolves in sheep's clothing. Let me tell you something. Who's more dangerous? Who is more dangerous? Someone who says, I want all that God has for me, and if it's not available, then it's not coming anyway? Or someone who tells people, oh, that's not for you. So live your nominal life. Figure it out on your own. Guess what? Your kids are probably going to hell, and you have no power to get them anywhere else. Tell them Jesus loves them. Hope it takes. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's foolishness. I'm sorry, I just, I just get, I got disgusted all of a sudden at the foolishness that we present to the world. We are called to be the light of the world. That means to be difference makers. To be the salt of the earth, which means someone sees something in me that they desire because I live differently. I have peace when no one else does. I have joy when no one else does. I have strength when no one else does. I prosper when no one else prospers because God is with me. His hand is on me, and he has appointed me. He has called me to do the works that Jesus has done. Go back week one, week two, and week three. It all builds to the moment, and it goes scripture by scripture. For those who believe, for those who call on my name, it is for every person who puts their faith in Christ Jesus.